Welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crimes. We're your hosts, Jill, Gracia, Dave, Don, and each week we will be bringing you through a true crime story from our home in New England. Each story is going to be coupled with a drink of the week to help ease your mind as we take a deep breath, a big sip, and we dive into some truly horrible crimes exposing the darkest parts of humanity. We are so excited to get kicked off this week with episode one, our very first edition of Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crimes. I'm Jill, I'm your host, and I'm here with my friends. Gracia. Dave. Dawn. And we're really looking forward to taking you through some great stories with some really good drinks to go along with it. So Gracia, what have we got on the table for us today? Well, since today is Valentine's Day, we figured we would go with something themed. Uh, I found a love potion cocktail on the Homemade Hoopla website. If you go to our Instagram, you can find the link there. It is a Cosmo type of drink with um, vodka with raspberry, cranberry. It has lime juice, a little bit of grenadine. Delicious. Get your heart going for today. And for those of us who don't drink alcohol or are opposed to doing it in the morning, we have a mocktail offering for you as well. And all we did here was we swapped out the uh, vodka for pomegranate juice, actually. So how does that one taste? Oh, that's good. Yeah. Great. And of course, Don, who we will be referring to frequently as dad also, because that's what he is. <laughs> um, He's never going to drink our drinks, evidently. He's only going to go for wine. So, What do you mean by people don't drink in the morning? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So I think we're ready to get started on our first crime, one that was really important to us. So I'm going to kick it over to Gracia so she can walk us through it. Our first case is Molly Bish, and she disappeared from her place of work in Warren, Massachusetts in 2000. Um, the day started off pretty normal for Molly. She woke up in the morning, got ready for work. Her mom told her at 9 a.m. that her co-partner on soccer had gotten an accident. So the girl was riding her bike and got hit by a car. Oh, gosh. And was in intensive care. So Molly was, of course, upset in the morning, but still had to go to her job. She knew how important it was. Um, Maggie reported that this job meant the world to her. Now, how old was Molly? She was 16. 16 when taken. It was a month before her birthday. Oh, wow. Uh, Maggie. We'll go, you know what? Let's just go back to that. We'll talk about everybody. Okay. Let me go back to that. So, Molly Bish was 16 years old. Uh, she was born August 2nd, 1983. Her parents were John, who was a probation officer. Her mother was Maggie. She was an elementary school teacher. Heather and John were her older brothers. She was the baby. And sisters, sorry. They moved from Detroit, Michigan before Molly was born, but Molly was born in Warren, Massachusetts. Molly was one of these kids that was very outgoing and popular, but it's told that she was very silly in school. Like, her behaviors always made people kind of laugh. Um, she not was a class clown, but definitely was somebody who, like, joked around a lot, so people seemed to enjoy her company. Probably someone we would have been friends with. Probably. She was very sportsy, though, because she was on three teams, soccer, softball, and basketball. Wow. So very sportsy, really into her family more often. Um, basically, everything I read about her was that she loved spending time with her family. Like, her her brother and sister were almost, uh, they kind of were jokes sometimes that they were a little too close because she would come home after school and really just want to hang out with her brothers and sisters, which was great to see 
from the parent perspective of life, right? <laughs> yep. For sure. You want them all to be close. Um, she had a boyfriend. His name is Stephen. They were a new boyfriend and girlfriend, though, so it didn't seem in most of the things that they were very serious. It had kind of just started. They went to prom together, but I kind of think Molly wasn't like everything it said. They were just hanging out, kind of. Not like in love or anything like that. Okay. Now we'll go to that date. Sorry about that, guys. Brand new. <laughs> um, so 9 a.m., she gets the phone call. Her her friend had got hit by the car. Then she gets ready, still goes to work. 9.50, they make two stops. The first stop is to pick up some water bottles and the two-way radio. There's no technology down at the pond, so there's a two-way radio that goes from the police station to the pond. And I can tell you, I drove that. It's about a mile. It's very close. Um, the pond is almost right downtown. So Did, did we say what her job was? She's a lifeguard. <laughs> Thanks, Jill. No, that's okay. <laughs> I couldn't remember, actually. <laughs> so she was going to pick up the radio, and then she was going to go back down there. Ma- um, Maggie was driving her because she's 16. She's a new driver. The state laws in Massachusetts at the time were 16 and a half. So she had just gotten permission, kind of, legally to drive on her own, but her mom still kind of was like, you know, let's just keep this going. I like this, you know. I like the quality time in the morning, too, so I feel her on that. Um, so she gets down there about 10 o'clock. So 10 a.m., they get there, they pull in. Molly gets her stuff out of the car. She goes to set herself up. Now, here's where nobody really knows what goes on. But between 10 and 10.03, which is crazy to me that it was just three minutes, Molly disappears. That is amazing. So they only had a three-minute window, whoever grabbed her. Yes. And I know that was on Paula Zahn's um, program. One of the detectives on there talked about that and how they knew that. Yeah, the 10.03 comes from the people that arrive at 10.03. So parents and kids are starting to get there for swimming lessons. So Molly was a lifeguard during swim lessons and during the day. And she was there for the beginning of that whole summer. So she'd been there, I'm guessing, probably around a month. Because it was June 27th when all this was happening. This was her eighth day on the job, actually. Excellent. Thank you. Found that information. Please, if you guys found other information, let me know. Yeah, so. So, she was there eight days, and she took this job very seriously. Her brother had done the job before her. She loved swimming with her brother. They were avid swimmers. They, she took this job very seriously. She really wanted to do it. And it's been told that this, like, kind of kicked off her love of kids, too. So, we'll start there with this is such an important job. And. The parents started to arrive. The parents said they didn't see her, so they just took over her duties. And they saw her stuff there. They saw the whistle sitting there. They saw her flip-flops. They saw a towel, and they saw an open first aid kit right next to her lifeguard chair. But no Molly. Now that's weird, huh? That they just yeah. And the first aid kit was open. Correct. Yeah. So me coming up on the scene, I'm not sure that I would just be like, hey that's okay, let's just take over for this girl, not call anybody or say anything. I thought that part was a little like, what are all these parents thinking? Yeah, although I guess I can see it from the other side. It's like, you know, because I do so much coaching and stuff, so if you came up to where I normally am and my first aid kit's open, you might just assume I'm helping a girl in the bathroom or, you know, like I'm doing something and I'll be right back, right? There's probably no reason to be alarmed at the same time. They don't say anything for an hour and a half. Wow. Right. I feel like that's a long time. It is a long yeah, time. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of excessive. <laughs> yeah. I could see that, like you said, initially. And she left her shoes there, too, right? Right. Her shoes are there. So, number one, I would be like, hey, this looks like a disturbing scene. Maybe just because I watch true crime and I think 
Right. Why are shoes here in an open first aid kit? That yeah. would come to my mind. It is important to remember, you know, the town of Warren, Massachusetts, um, it's a small town. It's pretty rural, um, especially for a Massachusetts town. Um, so it's, it's kind of like one of those towns where you may not necessarily suspect anything nefarious has ever happened or is ever going to happen. I agree. I would, I would probably be thinking more she was hurt. Right, yeah. Maybe not that she was grabbed, but she was injured. Yeah. Or maybe what the cops assume later. Well, that's the thing. So there's where this gets a little time-consuming, and this is why things are so important to act kind of right away. And even if you're wrong, at least you acted. So it took another hour 45 for them to call. So at 11.44, they finally two-way radio the boss, the um, her boss of all of the... Parks and Rec or whatever Yeah, I forget yeah. his name because I don't have it in front of me. Honestly, there was so much information in this case. I tried that to get it a off. minor detail. It's gotcha. a minor detail for me. So, And he then calls the cops. But this whole time, all they're kind of blowing it off as if she's a teenager, she's wandered off in the woods. But everything that we know about Molly and going on the story, that's not her character. So if it were a small town, they should know this isn't that kind of girl. Um... But the next part is that they wait until 1 o'clock to call the parents. What? Wow. Yeah. 1 p.m. till the phone call is made to mom and dad. If I was the mom there, I'd be fucking pissed. Yeah, like, that's never, ridiculous. Yeah. Right? So your daughter's now been missing since 10, so three hours have gone by. And if she was drowning, well, she's, she's dead. dead. <laughs> yeah. Like, great that you guys think something just bad happened to her and she didn't get kidnapped, but... Three hours is a long time. You're dead. Or even if you don't think anything happened to her, three hours is a long... Like, you're being naughty. If you're gone from your job for three hours, you're up to no good. Yeah, you that know? three hours is a police window, too, for when an abducted child is most likely to be murdered. Oh. That's scary. Yeah, I saw that stat somewhere that you only have so many hours. So here's where the importance part of this, that because the mother took so long and then the police took so long... It's like everybody was just hanging out, holding their feet, like, yep, yeah, I'm just going to sit here and rock until she shows up. Like, That's such I, bullshit. Yeah. Such bullshit. That part was, like, infuriating to me as a mom. Like, yeah, I'm my daughter's kidding. not there. Give me a call. Yeah. Because I dropped her off, so right. something's wrong. She has no car. She has no mode of transportation. Small town, where the frig are you walking to? Right. And we should say, because we're all from small towns in that area, which is part of why this story was important to us, we do know that that's exactly what they would do. If I didn't show up for my babysitting job, I think in 15 minutes, 18 people would have called my parents and been like, Jill's doing something wrong. Yeah. That actually happened to you, Jill. <laughs> I know it's ago. happened to me. That's how small towns work. My dad's a fireman. Every police officer, like I would be caught somewhere and my, they'd call my dad and be like, hey, do you know your daughter's here? What the frig? Yeah. Leave me alone. Exactly. You're trying to be wild and stupid. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> right, Don? Right. <laughs> Which we did many times. <laughs> so Maggie's called. We'll get back to the story. Sorry, guys. Uh, Maggie's called at 1 p.m. She doesn't know what to do because she dropped her off, so she went about her day thinking everything was fine. She has this horrible feeling in her stomach that something is not. She calls Heather, which is her Molly's older sister, and Heather says, let's go to the boyfriend's house. So they go to the boyfriend's house. Boyfriend is still sleeping. Jesus, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> it's nice to be young, isn't it? <laughs> they wake him up. He doesn't seem to like, oh, it's fine. She's probably there. Nothing happened. Let's put, I'm going to come with you. He gets dressed, gets in the car. They go down to the pond. So you're thinking now, 
2, 2.30, right? I don't know exactly the timeline at this point because now the articles I read don't like timeline it until the next day. But I'm sure Don does somewhere in his research. Uh, well, anyway, initially the boyfriend aroused police suspicion. Uh, he had a fat lip when the police first talked to him. He was scratched up a bit. The police haven't met him yet, but we're coming up to that. They're we, about okay. to see him. Yep. Well, I'll wait till you come up to that. Yeah, we're, well, we're coming up to it right now because he's going to oh. go down to the pond, and that's where everybody sees the police. So this, not the state police yet because, God forbid, we've actually called into somebody that knows how to do something. We're still talking about the local town, and Steve right. gets there, Heather's there, Mom is there. I don't have reports that Dad is there yet. He's probably at work. He's a probation officer. Yeah, maybe. Like, I know we work with a lot of probation officers at work. They work, like, 312, so he could have been working a killer shift, and they're not allowed to have cell phones, so I'm sure life was crazy. Wasn't this, like, before cell phones, too, though? Like there was a cell phone discussed, but it's, oh, like, the there? old not really good ones, oh, okay. you know? Yeah. Well, Steve Lucas had told the police that he actually went back to sleep after hearing about this from Mom. Oh. However, witnesses said they saw him walking toward the pond. I don't think that if that was ever resolved one way or the other. Uh, there's a note here from the police. Due to a flooded basement, almost all of his possessions were thrown out, hindering further police searches of his room. I found that interesting. And when was this flood? Do we know? Uh, uh, very close to the crime. Very close ah. to that time period. Um, and the boyfriend did take and pass. We need to say this probably twice. He, he did, did take and pass a lie detector test. Well, so did they decide to, like, charge the boyfriend or bring him in? Like, I don't... Not at all. No, they he never they charged. never charged him. No. Never even named as so a person were, of interest. They were just like, yo, dude. And unfortunately, Steve him. Lucas died in a car crash in October 2008. Yeah. So, the, the two, two subjects that... Well, let's finish with the state police first, and then I'll tell you who the... We'll, we'll touch on that in just a moment. Uh, the state police are now called in because mom is irate. Mom is fighting for more to be done. Not because the police want to bring the state police in. It's because mom is like, I've had enough. Right. WTF. Make shit happen now. Yeah. You know, she's ready to go. Thank God. So state police are called in. They call it a drowning. They're like, she probably just drowned. So brother takes off into the water because he's a great swimmer. Great swimmer. He spends hours diving down, searching the... I took this lifeguard training... Uh, so when you're trying to look for a body, uh, I was a lifeguard way back in the day at Upton. <laughs> you jump into the water where you think the body would be. And you take dive straight down, you do six strokes underwater, then you come up, and then you go back, and you do six strokes again. And you just keep going as far as, so you're going over the same spot five or six times. Are you allowed to close your mouth? <laughs> yes. Thank you. And you know, that, take a note of that. <laughs> you know, this pond is disgusting. Like, we've all yeah. been to these local little ponds. There's so much junk at the bottom of that lake that he probably. I'm just picturing this poor kid oh, who's early college. There are leeches in the pond. You're absolutely right. There's junk in the pond. And this was one of the, the connections to Molly's shoes. Molly's mom said later she would never have gone in that pond without her shoes. Oh, interesting. Ooh, I didn't hear that one. I love that bit. I'm sure there are leeches in there because I, it, it's a gross little man-made pond. Yeah. It, this is not like something that God made. This is something that we made in order to keep the river going. Right. 
Fill it up. Fill it up. <laughs> that, that was a more low. <laughs> So he's in there, and the police have to literally go in and drag him out because he will not leave and will not stop. But you can see him getting exhausted, and they're afraid that he's going to kill himself. Yeah, you can imagine the desperation. I, I can't even. I literally, as I watched the documentary of him talking about this, if any of you guys want to watch it, um, do you guys remember the link? I'm sorry. I, I'll post it into the oh, Instagram, but it's a great thing. And the family takes part in this documentary. So when you hear him talk about it and he's breaking up and he's crying and he's he's like, and I dove down and I dove down and I just, your heart breaks for the poor kid. Like, ugh. That whole family is so great. They're all wonderful people. Oh, so kind. So then the, the state police bring in their people finally because let's get some professionals in to kind of do this, right? So they start diving down, but now it's getting dark. So we've wasted so much time that it's now dark. So... Here's where the investigation kind of kicks in. But like as Don said, this is too late. Now next morning, they bring everybody in at 6 a.m. But you're almost 24 hours after she's been missing. If she were in a car, she is long gone. Everybody knows from Massachusetts how far you can get in 24 hours. I mean, I drove to Wisconsin, 17 and a half. So you could be half, more than halfway across the country in that time. Gracia, let's talk about the crime scene for a minute. Okay, let's do it. Nobody protected it. In that period Not of time. Not one person. What do you mean the crime scene? Do you mean like her life? Where she was scene? abducted from. Oh. People were tromping all over it. People were picking up the whistle. People were using it. People were walking all around. Oh my gosh. Well, so they don't realize it's a crime scene yet, right? No. Nope. No, Did they, they don't. Did they do that though when the police were there? No. Well, yes, because they actually said the police, the local police, were all over the place making their own marks. They were very hard to decipher which weren't cops and which weren't people because the cops were paying no attention to where they were walking. Oh my gosh. And the state police, when they were diving, they were bringing the machines right up on the beach. They were, it was not preserved in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Oh, um, I have awful. a quote here somewhere where it says, They found so many cigarette butts because later we're going to find out about cigarette butts. But that was one part of the evidence that they were, but there were so many of them because nobody knew where anybody was because it was so cluttered. There were so many people. The whole wow. town was there. They were all swimming all day. They didn't shut down the beach. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Unlike television, they don't do. <laughs> no, didn't rope anything off. You could come in from any of those trails. And like I said, I, I have a barbecue. Oh, you guys don't know this yet. I went and walked those trails, but those trails lead to like 25 houses. All of those houses have access. Oh, wow. And then on the other side of the road, more houses. So as much as this was a rural area, I don't think it was that rural. Because I would say around the pond, I saw at least 30 houses. Morning. The next morning at 6 a.m., they call in helicopters with infrared to, like, scope the area out. Uh, as we all know, she's long gone. Like, any right. kidnapping at that, you're almost 24 hours later. What are you going to find? Yeah, like, exactly. Uh, it's almost like a too much too late. Yeah. You know, you should have been more. So they call them in, and then local volunteers come down. They start scoping the area. That's just like you see on TV. They go wall to wall across the place and walk across it and try to find things. But nothing is found. Um, I was back in those woods. Um, I'm going to go forward for two seconds, and we'll come back to this other thought. I went there the other day and checked out the area. And in those woods, there's a lot of partying. There was a lot of um, campsites set up where teenagers had been drinking uh, fires in the middle of the woods. So, 
what do you really the stuff you're finding could just be from that so I think you know it's a hard thing to do a day late because people were still actively there hanging out especially um, in the summer especially yeah. in the summer Absolutely. we all know parties in the woods is where you're hanging out when you have nothing to do right That's so true with yep. these small towns <laughs> <laughs> Except we didn't do it, Dad. Of course not. No, in a sense. We were just hanging out, painting basements, and hanging out with life, right? It was polishing her wings. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now, finally, the police take a look at some of the evidence and turn around and say, hey, wait, the first aid kit is open. That might be a clue. Now, literally, can I tell you, this is tw- over 24 hours that they finally look at the one piece of evidence sitting right the fuck in front of them. Wow. That's unbelievable. Like, it's the first thing I thought when I said, what was the, why is that open? Who mm-hmm. opens their first aid kit unless they need it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no kidding. So it would almost sound like whoever abducted her might have induced her to think he was injured in some way, and that's why she was opening the first aid kit. And how many cases have you heard like that? Oh, I have a hurt puppy. I have this. This is how they get people oh, to, to lower you your, it, you, know. you know, lower your inhibitions so you're not on guard. This is how... Not just pedophiles, but people who are kidnapping, they trick you. Bad people. Bad people. That's right. That's how they trick you, all right. And that's really, like, I didn't know this. Um, I guess I didn't know this part that the cops were kind of really fucking this up from the start, right? That they were not preserving the crime scene. They It doesn't even seem like they were thinking this one through, you know? Any, anything more than this fantastic swimmer probably drowned in this disgusting pond. Not at all. Yeah, and it's almost like, you know, and I I think it is now kind of a policy that when there's a person who is missing, you always assume that it's either an abduction or a homicide. From this case. Yeah. Yeah, the Bish family really pushed on more training for the police. Yeah. The Amber Alert is because of them. Yeah. I thought it was because of someone named Amber. No, it's here in Massachusetts. They pushed it here. (laughs) That's because of somebody named Amber. But getting it here in Massachusetts was because of them. Because they think that had Molly been at least said something about somebody could have seen her leaving, however she leaves. We'll get to how we think she left um, in a few minutes. But they would have seen her leave somehow. Yeah, I'd be like rip shit, though, if I was the parent. Like, seriously. I don't know how I would ever trust the police again you know like I, I mean I'm not trying to be negative towards police officers really but these poor cops I kept picturing wow. like dope da dope da dope like yeah. literally as people are telling you evidence you're just ignoring it yeah that's just terrible and when a mom's there right there saying no she took this job seriously you have to take this seriously and then for them to not take it seriously for so long right the local police in most towns are very well-meaning and, and uh, not adequately trained. I think there's a big difference between local police departments and, for instance, the MSP, the Mass State Police. And, and even we'll when they get come into in, that they later. do it, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah. get into that. And there's a reason they call them in. There is. More training, obviously. I mean, a small town like Warren, what is their budget? I can't even imagine. But at the same time, she's one of you. Like... Yeah. Well, not to get too far ahead, but in the case we're going to cover next week, there wasn't even a police force in the town of Rutland at the time. So, That's true. You know, in Interesting. these small towns, this happens. Yeah, I can't wait for that one. Mm. So, they talk about the first aid kit. So, as they're talking about this, Maggie overhears them. And she's like, they're like, oh, maybe there was somebody suspicious. Maybe we should talk to people. So, immediately, a little light goes off on her head and said, you know what? Yesterday, I had this gut feeling. 
and it wasn't a good one. And she tells the story. So the day before, which is June 26th, the day before Molly was kidnapped, not the day before this, because that's murder. <laughs> well, we don't know. Well, oh, I slipped. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so 26, she goes to drop her off, and she pulls up next to this car. And the car is just a white sedan. She doesn't really, like, get any defining factors, which is interesting because I'm such a dork. Again, I would have been writing down make, model, and I would have wrote down a license plate just in case he kidnapped somebody else or did something crazy. I memorize license plates all the time because I'm a dork. Definitely not me, not ever. I'd be lucky if I could remember the color of the car, to be totally honest. If you were creeped out? I don't know. I feel like I'm creeped out all the time. One thing Mom did did pick up... (laughs) Uh, was the way the guy held a cigarette, which yes. was very unique. Yes, that comes into play with one of our subspe- suspects. Yeah. Um, keep that in mind, guys, for later. That comes into play. So she basically just gets creeped out, follows Molly over to her seat, watches Molly set up, keeps watching the guy out of the corner of her eyes, and says something to Molly like, that guy's creeping me out. Now here's where I think there's an interesting piece of information. Molly says to him, don't worry, Mom, it's just a fisherman. Does Molly know this guy from the lake? Oh, interesting. I didn't know that either. Because she basically says she knows him. Or seen him before, maybe he had a dress. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And like as a waitress, you know, frequent customers. So I think that if she worked there and there was a frequent guy there, she might have seen that man before, which goes into the three minutes and he could plan if he was there every day. Yeah, and in small towns, it's one of those things, you know, they notice people who are from out out of town you know if you don't true you know um you know when i was living in barry you know it, if somebody was at the center that wasn't from town everybody would know you know so it's like Very they true. know they notice i mean they're not necessarily being inhospitable but they definitely it's something that people from those towns definitely pick up on i got a call one time saying there was somebody parked in my driveway when i wasn't home Ooh, and it was scary. because there was a rental car. My daughter had gone with a friend who had a rental car. But my neighbor was concerned, gave me a phone call and said, there's a New Jersey plate car in your in your driveway and I know you're away. Should I call the police? Wow. Yeah, these small towns. So they, people notice things. Yeah. Yes. They sure do. You know, so Molly says this to mom. Mom blows it off because she says, okay, Molly thinks that, so I'm just going to go home. So she didn't even go any further. The guy pulled out of the out of the parking lot and went on his way, so so did Molly's mom. So this comes back to her mind. She tells the police this story, saying, I think this guy, you might want to take a look at him. I don't know if it's him, but you might want to take a look. Um, I think parents' intuition is a big thing. Same. I, you feel it when you're with somebody that isn't good for your kid. Yeah. You feel it. And you're, you do, yeah, you're right. Your neck. Experts in this field uh, uh, talking about it, intuition. Yeah. If you've ever uh, read the book The Gift of Fear, which is written by one of the experts in this field of the role intuition plays with people who've been victimized by crime because they ignored an intuition, it's well worth a read. Um, but yeah, that's, to your point. Sounds like an interesting book, so we'll make sure we post the link on our Instagram. Definitely. So that, in my mind, women's tuition, mother's tuition, you're, you're feeling something is not right with this guy. So to me, it's a little bit more reading into, I think, some other people, just because I've had feelings about people who have been around my children or people that have been in their lives that aren't good for them. Yep. 
Yeah. Now, didn't mom say she made eye contact with this guy? I mean, they stared at each other. She did. I thought he was a little Fidel Castro looking. You guys see the... Yeah, I saw the picture. <laughs> we have, yeah. He looked like so many people. We'll get to that later. He looked like too he many. He does, but like Castro in his day or even like... Maybe it's the cigar and the big mustache. I was like, oh, yeah. Are we like just a porn stash? Doesn't matter. Definitely a porn stash. <laughs> we'll uh, make sure we post pictures of all this, too, on our Instagram. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so they start looking into him. Where were where, where we now? So He was smoking. Wh- you were talking about that. Smoking. Okay, so he's smoking. So she says, this is what he looked like. This is where he's going. They get a sketch artist out there. They draw it. She says, can you do one more thing and have him hold the cigarette in this weird way? So the sketch, when you guys see it, is actually him holding his cigarette different than most people. He's got a little... Most men. Most he held men. it in a very feminine way. As Correct. So it just looked... Re- so she's like, yes, that's yeah. it. Now you have it. And the person who did the sketch, uh, and you can correct me here, Gracie, was one of the top people who did these kind of sketches in the United States. It, did I read that it was the same lady who sketched the Unabomber? Yes. Really? Yeah. I, I believe it's so. the same person because I saw that too. That it was mm-hmm. some. I don't remember the specifics of how, but I knew it was somebody super famous. So that could be, not super famous, super infamous. I should say. Yeah. Like not famous for good reasons, um, but this sketch became like their main lead, and they put it out everywhere. They got thousands of tips. They set up roadblocks now. Now we're at like. I don't even know what time this was, but you're talking late day the next day, so you're more than 24 hours. Now you're going to set up roadblocks and start looking for white cars? Like, why don't you just look for the snowflake that's purple out there? Like, it is hard. Honestly, if the roadblocks worked at this point, then the crime is done by an idiot. You know, like, really. Right? So, please set up the roadblocks. Then nothing really happens. They get all these little tips. They're not really getting anything of any use at the beginning. So then it turns into, they're looking at some other options. Did she run away? They keep getting tips saying Molly's here, Molly's there, Molly's there. But you know, she looks like every other good American girl. So they're getting hits in the Midwest. They're getting hits in Florida. They're getting hits in California, up in Seattle. They're getting them everywhere. But Molly's parents are like, nope, she loves us. She's not going anywhere. Oh, so they thought she was like a runaway or something. Correct. They thought this was Uh, her chance to get away. They always tend to make those assumptions. So the bitches are not having it. They're like, nope, get rid of that right away. So now is when they look into the boss and the boyfriend. They become their main subjects. Because you know what? Those are the last two men that... Right. You know, because let's be honest, it's probably a guy... Well, it's yes. about time that they <laughs> sh- sexist. looked at. It is a sexist comment, but you know, it's probably a guy, ninety something percent or something crazy. I don't know. Um, so they look at those two. They're both cleared for different reasons. The boss has an alibi. Someone solidly says he was with me, so he couldn't have done it. Right. Boyfriend sleeping, so no alibi, but he does take the polygraph. We all know those are inadmissible. I just felt like his relationship was so superficial. That yeah. why would he kill her? Like they have no issues. Like who, this guy doesn't seem to even have a large role in her life. Yeah, not to make a case that isn't there. Oh, of course, that is what I love to do. <laughs> um, some people can pass a polygraph. Oh, definitely. Right? There's data on yeah. that. And some people, even when they're innocent, can't pass them, which is why they're not using. I'm a horrible liar, guys. <laughs> yeah. I could never anyway, pass it. That's really an aside. Um, I just stopped looking at him for that reason. I just felt like their relationship was so 
on the surface. Yeah. You know, I there's think there's no it, evidence that points to him either. No. You know, there's nothing. You know, and if he had gone down to the pond, like he was a 16 year old kid or 17, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all the kids would have known him. All the kids would have seen him. You know, it's like you're going to where all the kids hang out. It's the yep. beach. Um, so if you're going to probably plan to harm your or kill your girlfriend, you're not going to do it where all the other kids are going to be because you can easily lure her somewhere else. Yeah, that's a good point, Dave. I agree with that. They because if it wasn't a crime witness. of passion at that point. Like, if it were a crime of passion, maybe you could say. Right. But he I, had... I really doubt this is a person that did it, this boyfriend. Uh, uh, I unfortunately, do as I said, he's, he's passed away. But there was one witness claimed she saw him walk into the beach that morning. Well... She might have seen somebody else that looked like him. Who knows? Yeah, sometimes but people see things they want to see. He went back you know? to bed. And, and uh, I remember in my lazy teenage years, that's what I would have done. Yeah. So, I, mean, I eliminated him almost right away because for yeah, that. So reasons. did the police, though. And with a case like this, you'll always have some witness that says something that just really there's no truth to it whatsoever, too. Right? False that's, memory yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. At one point. This is a tidbit for way further, but I think it's interesting. One of the comps tries to pick up the Molly Bish reward for finding stuff. Ooh, wow. I wanted to look more into that because I didn't find it till yesterday. So, note to anybody listening or some cop on this case tried to get the reward because he found either the oh, bathing suit ew. or the body or something. Holy shit. I, I just found it like yesterday and I didn't have time to pursue it, but I just thought of it and I didn't want to forget about it because it's not in my notes. Right. Well, that jumps three years later. Right. 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 All right, so remind me of that. It just came to my mind because my mind is left field, as you guys will all find out about life. Um, so then they started looking at sex offenders. They pulled them in. There was a ton. Um, I actually think the per capita was like something crazy. Like, FYI, if you live in Warren, keep your kids close. Um, wow. This is check the registry. Check the registry. And the problem with all these sex offenders, they couldn't cross them off because they don't work. Nobody will hire them. Um, so nobody can, you don't have work records, you don't have anything, nobody hangs out with them. They become loners because they're so isolated by society that cops really have a hard time tracking down their whereabouts when they're like, I'm alone. Unless they all murder their girlfriends. The that comes up as well. <laughs> um, so they, they give a few of them polygraphs, some of them pass, some of them don't. Some of them are just scared. And the cop says that before I even put this on him, he started shaking. So whether he's shaking from his past crimes or whether he's shaking from this current crime, they can't tell. Yeah, well, how old could this boyfriend have been? 17, 18? I would have been scared. Out of my mind. Yeah, yeah. Like, can you imagine a cop thinking you killed somebody at that early age? Like, girlfriend. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I couldn't even imagine, like being in an examination room or whatever they call them for those things like you're 17 or 18 you know your parents are gonna kill you when they find out <laughs> what you're doing right now right <laughs> I remember getting in fights with girlfriends just crawling under the covers and be like I'm just gonna hide here for days yeah. although with my suspicious mind one of the things that did occur to me was was this young lady pregnant and we're never gonna know and I know you'll get into this three years hence when they found yeah, them all. Right now balls. we're about to hit three years and then we're going to talk. Okay. Um, it, it did cross my mind as a motive. Anyway, go ahead. Yep, yeah, so three years later, um, case is pretty much cold now. From 2000 to 2003, nothing's going on. 
But, you know, the Bish family is still out there. They hired a private investigator because they are like, you know what? You guys suck. <laughs> um, you're not getting any leads. They keep changing people who are in charge of it. So they, they take out all of the current force and put a whole new force on this case, which was kind of interesting as well. I mean, fresh eyes, I guess, makes a good right. good thing. But at the same time, they probably should have just broadened the team so they all work together. But yes, here nor there. So in May... A hunter happens to see a photo of Molly in her blue bathing suit and says, wait a minute, I was in the woods and I saw a blue, a bright blue something when I was hunting. I don't know what it was. Here's where I went that day. It takes them six days to find that bathing suit because this guy had... Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, he top of his head, he wasn't paying attention to it. He just happened to be... So he calls the cops. It takes them six days, and it's the largest search in mass history to find that bathing suit. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Which is crazy, right? It's But you can see, they know they messed up. So, hey, we really need to get hot. Like, yeah, 200-plus searchers. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So then it takes them six days to find that, and another almost month to find her body. They find 27 bones scattered throughout this little area on Whiskey Hill and Palmer. Oh, geez. And Whiskey Hill and Palmer comes up later, too, so keep that in your head. Um, they confirm it's Molly by DNA on both the bathing suit and on the bones. So now parents have this. Um, I love what Molly's mom says about this. She says, now we're somewhere between hell and hope. Say again? We, we've lost that somewhere between hell and hope. We were in hell, but we always had hope. Now our hope is gone. We're still in hell. So now it becomes, it goes from an abduction to a homicide. To a homicide at this point. Because now she's dead. We know it. We're no longer looking for live recovery. Which, oh, as a parent, you're like, ugh. Yeah. You know, and this is June. It's a month before her birthday. Her birthday's coming up in August. Two months. Her birthday's coming up in August. You just find out she's never coming home. I can't imagine. Yeah. So now's the who, everybody. They really get nobody for a while. I mean, I think there are a couple of front runners, and you guys can all pitch in with what you found or what you've done. The first one the cops start looking at, and excuse me if I pronounce any of these names wrong, is uh, Rodney Stanger. He lived in the area at that time uh, that Molly was adopted, and he fished there quite often. He hunted there also on that same pond, so he knew the pond very well. He moved away just a year after down to Florida. He was a previous sex offender. He had beaten two of his wives. Anybody remember that part? He was a stellar guy. Ex-Vietnam vet. Anybody read any more about him personally? Yeah, he was really what I think most people would just call a career thug, career criminal. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. He was violent throughout his life. And he's um, extremely violent towards women. Definitely. Matter of fact, he's sitting in a prison in Florida right now for 25 years because he murdered his his girlfriend. And this and this. He was also mostly connected to Paul, um, Holly Perinian. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that was another the same girl yeah. in Massachusetts. Yes. And this came in. They found this guy because they got a tip to the DA's office. Mm-hmm. Massachusetts got a tip. Somebody called and said, hey, you might want to take a look at this guy. 
Yep. Stagger is originally from Southbridge. Yes. Not too far from, from there. Yeah. Though, yeah. And he actually was like hunted and fished in, in that pond area, in that yes, area. Quite so, often. Good bass fishing. A good suspect, sure. Did The police went down and interviewed him, the Mass State Police. Uh, the detective, one of the detectives that the family hired, um, Dr. Stein, who wrote a book on this whole case. Matter of fact, it's probably the only book you can find on this case, and you can read it. It's called Who Took Molly Bish. Um, also tried to interview him, traveled down to Florida, but he refused to talk to Dr. Stein. So that's where that got left off. And the only other thing that they really had was that his brother drove her white Chrysler. Mm -hmm. oh, that was so the that other was piece the that fit him in. The car. And then he fit the sketch loosely. Like when you see his picture, you could see it. Yeah, I want to return to this sketch thing. You know I have strong feelings about that. Yeah. I don't know that it's the only piece of, but you you should think about it here or there, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So he fit it loosely. The tip is the, what really made them look at him, though, and that he did live in the area at that time. I looked in the mirror this morning. I thought, oh, my God, i got to shave my mustache. <laughs> I, I did think something interesting. <clears throat> Two quick seconds about his case. I don't know if you looked at his case with his girlfriend that he killed, but his defense attorney says that they did not... He only said one sentence through the whole entire trial against killing Crystal. Crystal's his girlfriend, everybody. He only said, um, I'm sorry for what I did. Like, that's it. Gave no motive, didn't talk about it. When the attorney was questioned on why they didn't introduce motive for insanity or anything, the attorney said, I cannot give a motive for Crystal as it would have suggested his deeper insanity issues. Hmm. Well, that's, that's strong evidence. That's that is a weird comment to make. And I wish yeah. I would have had the direct quote there because I was reading it on Reddit. So Maybe Reddit we can dig in later and come back to this sometime. Yeah, yeah it's maybe. something to look into because Reddit, you have to take as conspiracy theories in a lot of ways. But it's interesting because people are posting it from different forums. So there's another thing I have in here from Reddit too, so we'll get there too. By the way, um, Stanger... His brother owned a white car, a 1985 Chrysler New Yorker, yeah. just, mm -hmm. just for the record. Yeah. Yep. Um, but so does everybody else, I guess. A white car. White car. It's so common. It's crazy. Yeah, I have mm. a white so car. Common. Oh. All right. So my next person is my person of interest. Um, not to say that I favor somebody, but throughout my investigation, it was the person that I thought just made me say, you did it. His name is Gerald... Bastoni? How do you guys think I say that? I think you're correct. Bastoni? Good as I could make come up. The yeah. part that uh, makes this so crazy for me, and maybe because we're from this area and the Whitey Bulger controversy and everything else that has gone on with the FBI informants have me in my mind always not trusting what you hear. So Gerald was an FBI um, confidant, uh, conf sorry, informant. can't talk, confidential informant. So he was... Going, some more to drink? I would no. love some more to drink. <laughs> Too bad. He is a confidential informant. There it is. And uh, he worked for their drug task force. So he used to run drugs through the woods in Palmer on Whiskey Hill. Oh, my gosh. For different drug companies. He would move them to different people through the trails in those woods. So he knew them. Yeah, I guess so. Back and forth for years. Uh, that part was like a ding, ding, ding for me. And there is multiple cases where his handler 
sergeant's whatever his name is, me and David. I can't think of the sergeant's name, but clearly that sergeant, um, the towns had to make settlements over um, his behavior as corruption. Yes, he hid evidence. Mm. He destroyed evidence wow. in multiple cases. I didn't know that. He's been charged, and this, we think, is one of them. You can't prove that he destroyed any of the Molly Bish stuff. But he gathered evidence, and he sent it to Texas to be analyzed instead of to Massachusetts State Police analyzing. Just to buy more time or Correct. something like that. So the Bish family kept saying, hey, where'd that evidence go? Hey, where'd that evidence go? Hey, where'd that evidence go? Two years later, they get a small piece back from Texas. Wow. And he's like, oh, it didn't amount to anything. It was just this. These poor people. Now, didn't they also connect Gerald to... Um uh, Holly, Holly Peranian. Yes. She was, he was nearby. Holly Peranian disappeared, I believe, on the way to her grandmother's house, if I'm not mistaken. I think in Hopkington, right? No, yeah. Sturbridge. Oh, Sturbridge. Sturbridge, okay. yeah. And it's yeah. more than connected, right? It's more than connected yeah. here. Yeah. Well, the, the cool part, of, not the cool, I said, said cool, but the part that got me excited is that you can put Gerald at both of these locations with both of these girls. And wow. yes, like you can put him on that road at that time, pretty much. So in Holly's case, his then girlfriend was a real estate agent selling a house on that street. And they were there cleaning the house for an open house. Literally that time. So he had access to that home that Holly was on the street Holly was taken from. And Holly was going to see a neighbor's puppies. She left her grandmother's house. Her and her brother were going down the street to look at some puppies and was abducted in the yeah, meantime. Yeah, I'm hoping we can cover that in a few weeks. That yeah, would be a good probably. One, a good one too. And the other part of him <clears throat> that's really cool with this Holly Perinian part is that he, that woman, he was molesting her daughter. Oh my God, that's disgusting. So he was a frequent person who was having, from her daughter from the age of 13 to 16 had sex with him over 100 times. Oh. Now, doesn't this blow your mind that the FBI are using people like this? I mean, I guess you have to use informants that are bad people, but if you're aware that this guy is raping a little girl and then you've got him on your payroll, like, that's fucked, isn't it? Multiple, and that's what the, re so this is a Reddit post that I saw where they were saying, they they put FBI links right on there saying they knew multiple girls have been. Now, Gerald is also dead. He killed himself, yep. Right. Well, oh, that's good news. The, the, the speculation is that what I read from a lot of different articles on the internet was that after he was told about um, 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 Polly, that connection that they, they actually yeah. found his DNA right where they found the bones, um, that that's when he attempted. Literally, like a day or two later. Yeah, he um, yeah he used a broken glass and tried to his cut neck. his own throat. So, I mean, he was definitely seriously trying to commit suicide, obviously. Um, I think they thought nobody could protect him anymore. I think he thought nobody could protect him anymore. Like, how do you get away from that? Yeah. The other evidence had been buried so much, I think he was afraid. His girlfriend at the time of Molly Bish's, just separate girlfriend because this guy bounces around, he has no license, so the car. The only connection with the car for him is that his girlfriend drove a white car. But they, she lived in Warren, and her car was broken, and he was taking it for test drives to fix it. That day, he was gone for a long period of time. Yeah. Gerald also looked like. Gerald looks very much like it. Like if you look at a picture of him next to the photo, he fits it for me. So whether he did this, I don't know, but he also shaved his mustache two days after 
this happened. So nobody could see his mustache. So the girlfriend didn't report anything because she just thought that she'd been complaining about it for so long. He finally did something about it. Do you know what I noticed about those photos? I, I, I gotta show you, I'm, I'm actually going to be able to show you the photos. Take a look at the jowls. Yeah. He's the only one I saw that was compared. That matches it. That had jowls. You know, those fluffy little things. Yeah. Yeah. Some older gentlemen get, they look like bulldogs, I guess, or something like that. Blood hounds. Um, another aside, but continue, I'm sorry. No, I want you to talk about the next one, because I don't know anything about this next person. So, okay. who is it? Mr. Smith. I have no oh, idea who this person is. infamous Mr. Smith. I could not find information on him at all online. So, this is taken over Dad. Okay, Dr. Sarah... Sarah, excuse me, Stein, she's a consultant and uh, co-founder of the Center for Resolution of Unresolved Crimes. Uh, her areas of expertise include cold cases, victimology, suspectology, behavioral analysis, crime scene analysis, missing persons, interviews, and interrogations. And the social phenomenon of missing white women syndrome, which we don't have to get into here. Uh, she's been awarded a PhD, this is why I call her a doctor, of course, in criminal justice in 2012. And she worked with the Bish family for some 15 years on this particular case. Wow, wow. So initially they hired her, so that's interesting. That is interesting. If you read her book, and I do recommend it, Who Took Molly Bish? You can get it on Amazon Kindle or Amazon whatever. Um, she gives quite a breakdown on, on this Mr. Smith. And she makes a very clear statement that she believes Mr. Smith is the person who did this, who committed this crime. So according to the witnesses cited in Dr. Stein's book, Smith was absent on June 27th and didn't return until the 28th. Absent from work or absent from life? Absent, life? period. <laughs> <laughs> Off the grid. <laughs> he returned with a damaged and muddied white car Possibly belonging to a girlfriend. None Just, of these people have their own cars. Yeah, they do. They do. And by the way, he lived in the old sawmill campground in West Brookfield, and you want to keep that in mind. Can I make one small joke about the car that hanging out your passengers? Uh, passengers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So the, the damage was so great to the car, it was inoperable. And he made a statement to, according to witnesses at the campground, that, hey, you saw me here, something terrible happened. You know, make sure you say you saw me here. So, now, of course, that's hearsay. Please, please, alibi, yeah. right here, right here. Can you sign this affidavit? <laughs> Quickly. This alibi on the fly. Quickly, I have this paperwork for you to sign. <laughs> now, Dr. Stein, in her book, said she found, she found another witness who had spent time with Smith shortly before Molly disappeared and was told that they frequented Commons pond together. Did I pronounce that pond's name? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Matter of fact, if you look in the book and you look at page 105 in Who Took Molly Bish, you'll see uh, a breakdown of that. Now, Dr. Stein and her husband, Jack Drawak, let me talk about Jack for a minute. He's a state police supervisor at the time of the crime. He was assigned to the crime. Later on, he marries Dr. Smith. 
opportunistic yeah. son of a guy. He was assigned to the crime. I wonder if it was initially, too, because we just said that they were, like, pretty much inept initially. <laughs> so we did. <laughs> we called them out. Now, Dr. Stein and her husband, Jack Drawek, D-R-A-W-E-C, he was a state police lieutenant and supervisor at the time of the crime, interviewed Smith. And in Dr. Stein's book, you will see the notes from that interview that Dr. Stein took and Lieutenant uh, Drock took. So after the interview, Jack, her husband, said that while he was not completely positive Smith was the killer, he was sure Smith was the man in the white car at the pond They don't say day. his first name, because I feel like the problem I probably had was I'm searching freaking Mr. Smith. Right. Okay, now I did send an email to uh, Dr. Stein. Oh, I thought you were saying to me. I was like, Ooh. Uh, And I asked her that. I actually tried, you, you, you were right to go down that route. I actually tried to pin her down on, did you, did you say Mr. Smith as a pseudonym? I mean, is there such a person? And I have not as yet um, gotten a reply. And, and when I do, and maybe later on we cover this, you know, what we've learned from here, uh, I, I can share that, hopefully. Some of those might do a part two. Yeah, we might do a part two. Um, but one thing I think is important to point out is that the Bish family has been very, very outspoken against this book and against anyone reading it. They say that it's basically bullshit. And I saw it on two, on two, I saw it on two separate police departments sharing it, too. Whether you think the police are... The, she had a falling out with Heather Bish, the older sister... And Heather, as she got older, it became more vocal and became kind of the leader of the Bish family's investigation. Her parents are getting older. Her dad had a stroke at one point. Um, I have a great deal of admiration for Heather. What's interesting, I asked Dr. Smith in an email about that, about that falling out. And the only thing that Dr. Smith said was she was very disappointed that it happened. In the book, she kind of blames it on the media. She said there was an argument with a member of the media between Heather herself and and um, Ooh, and this person in the media. No so definitely read the book. And, and 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 Jill's right. The family would you rather not read the book? If you go on Amazon and look at the uh, the comments, you'll see a number of people trying to sabotage the book by giving ones and saying, "Hey, the family doesn't want you looking at this." Uh, but then a number of people, including myself, said. I got a lot of valuable information and pointers from that book. So you don't have to be all right or all wrong here, and everybody can kind of contribute. But I will say this too. Um, Dr. Smith is the only person that I could find who, who identified this, uh, Dr. Smith, I'm sorry, Dr. Stein, uh, who identified this Mr. Smith, Period. Nobody else talks about Mr. Smith. Nobody, because I tried to find stuff online because I unfortunately didn't have time to get this book and read it before we did. We had like a two-week window here, and Barnes and Noble was sold out. You think both two Barnes and Nobles, so I couldn't get it. But I tried to find other places so that I could portray this as a suspect because we, we're never going to know, quite honestly. I think that's right. Now let's continue a little bit with, if if I may, with you with Doctor Stein. Um, we're going to talk about the car. So in 2018, investigators acted on a tip which led them to the location where they believed a car possibly connected to Molly's case had been buried. So Dr. Smith... Where was it buried? 
Where was it? Buried? Now I got to dig through I'm my sorry, notes. I'm sorry. How fucking hard is it to bury a car? Too? Uh, it, it was. I can barely bury like. It was buried in. Six feet down. I'm like fuck. I I mentioned I mentioned that that place, but. Sorry, I'm sorry. That's all right. I'm I'm gonna look here. We're gonna. We can come back to it. Listen, we'll be back in an hour. Um, we'll take a break here and uh, no. Joe's gonna sing the whole time. It it actually is a good question. I'm kidding around here. Um, and just because like, is it was it near somebody's property? Was right. it like? I, no, no, it was in a it was it was actually in a campground. And in I have mentioned the campground previously. Oh, the there it is. The old sawmill campground. I wrote those notes because I, I didn't yeah. read your notes. Whether I could. Oh well, why did so I? Many. You know, hey. I did read them. I wrote, look, staying at old sawmill campground, not operational. Father owned campground. There you go. His dad, Mr. Notes. Smith, owned that campground. Yeah. So. Okay, so we could find out who Mr. Smith is by, by finding, finding the campground. That's what I Dave, assume Google too, right Dave. Google right now who owned campground in the um, year 2000. Anyway, they right? got ground penetrating radar. Mm -hmm. They went on, uh, Dr. Stein and, and uh, a professor, and I know you're going to ask me for this, Professor. <laughs> no, I will. I um, <laughs> using ground penetrating radar, actually um, searched the campground and did find indications of, gee, we should dig a little further here. Right. So Put it in technical like, language. Like a backhoe or something, right? right? Everybody so, construction people? Unfortunately, Dr. Stein talks about this in her book. Um, very shortly thereafter, she gets a note, what's more than a note, a legal notification, a trespass notification, don't come back from Mr. Smith. So don't come back on this property. He's and that's where I lost okay. the thread. Right, and I'm still trying to catch that thread. Did they ever get this car? Mm -hmm. If they did, who has it? Oh, I saw that email. Yeah. yeah, who's got the car? I've, yeah, I've sent an email out looking for this. Yeah. Um, and what was found? Now, it's quite possible they did eventually retrieve it. I found one source, I believe it was Telegram and Gazette, that said that. But, you know, you have to really check all this information out. And it's an older case, so it's not and, as fresh. And I know I that state problem. police would hold this at, if they did find something, they wouldn't necessarily let you have it. Oh no, they're keeping that. And you gotta her, hold some cards in your chest, right? Right, and Dr. Stein in her book said so many times that the state police withheld evidence from her, and possibly for these purposes, yeah. um, and treated her very poorly. Um, as if you were stomping on their territory is what it come down well, to. Well, they had hired, this is their third investigator that the right. bitch has hired. So that should third. take, that's all the notes I have, uh, Gracia, on Smith. And if well, I get something more, I'll... Do uh, you have that person? I do, but we can talk about him in a second. Well, let's see you, okay. No, uh, go ahead, Jill, what did you find? No, all I was going to say was um, when you guys said to Google... Um, it's too much work to Google and find out who owned the campground in 2005 minutes. But Worcester Magazine did an article on um, the day that Sarah Stein went down there and when the digging was happening and stuff like that. So they did 
um, cover that in Worcester Magazine if you're interested in reading about it. Do you have the camp count address? Because we can go to the Registry of Deeds yes. and figure I, out who owned it at that point yeah. in time. I don't. My well, I, I think it's closed. But it would tell you all the way back so, to the 50s yeah. sure, and sure. 60s. I, I, I only mention it to you, yeah. just so you know. But it, yeah, if I have their legal address, you can search it in under two seconds on that. Yeah, and I don't so, know if Smith is still alive. Yeah, I can tell you money. Yeah, one of the problems with cases like this, and so many years go by, is people pass away. You know, you tell them, you know how the cops tell you don't leave town. You know, the cops can also tell you don't leave your life because we may want to talk to you later. So the one thing, though, from the Worcester uh, Magazine article is that they say uh, Bish's mother, Maggie Bish, was on scene when the digging was happening. And she said that the new lead had given her new hope that the culprit may someday be found. I just want peace, she said. It's been a very long, long time. Yeah. Her comments and... Uh, that poor lady, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you, there's one of them. Uh, she created the Molly Bish Foundation, obviously. And there's a post where during like World Kidnapping Day or something like that that everybody celebrates the life of the people that are lost. It's her and her kids are holding on to her and it's like the most brutal photo I've ever seen because she's like trying to stand there like a matriarch. And they're just a mess on her. Oh. You're like, oh my yeah. heart. She's, you know, she's trying, but you can see like her face is is borderline ready to break. Yeah. But she's trying to remain strong because her kids. Do you have that person? That's who I'm about to talk about next, but Excellent. in a Go small right way. So keep him. He, so we're we only going to talk about two more people because there's a bunch more. But yep. I feel like two more people we can at least touch on. Do I have to shut up? No. You, why don't you talk about <laughs> this one? Because you're you talk Which about one? this guy and I'll talk about this guy. Uh, okay, who goes first? <laughs> okay, David Edmund Poulet? Sure, P-O-U-L-I-O-T. He's dead, too. Nine. He died at age uh, 49 in 2003. Um, he can be tied to the areas where Holly's remains were found, but he's not um, considered a suspect. So again, Holly but. or Molly? Uh, Holly and Molly, apparently. Oh. The, but this is Holly. It's, Consistently, the, they keep connecting these two. With this is the guy. Yeah, we have a couple of suspects who are, who are tied to both cases in some... Well, when I say tied, I want to be careful here. Because they've never been tried. They've never been charged. They've never been named as suspects or persons of interest. But they have been written about. Let's put it that way. Like and by people who have looked into these cases. Right. That's the fairest thing I can think of. When to they say. were talking about Gerald, for, excuse me for two seconds, he had um, molested kids from the ages of nine through seventeen. Oh, disgusting. So that's why he had such a broad scope. Where they say some of their sex offenders are like ten to twelve, twelve to fourteen. So this is where that was another point that I meant to make on Gerald. So I wanted to go back for it for just two seconds before I forget it. His scope was so wide that he just liked them young. Yeah. And here we go with the picture again. The fishes were described as being startled by the similarity between Poilet, hope I'm pronouncing that right, and the composite sketches of the suspicious man in, that Molly's mother saw. Um, that's the trouble with composite drawings. You know, So many people can be made to look like them. It's like looking in the clouds and seeing patterns that don't exist, which I do quite often. Anyway. And then they change. Transformers. Um, now, here's some another tidbit here. And on October 2020, Boston News Station WCVV-TV reported that, according to their sources, 
the body of a 22-year-old man was exhumed at a cemetery in Hampton County in Massachusetts. That's where Palmer is. Which might be connected to the investigation of the disappearance and murder of Peranian. Sources told the news station that the man exhumed was not Pelay. According to Springfield, Massachusetts-based TV station, Western Mass News, Holly's cousin, Leah Jolin, said investigators were searching for a letter placed in the subject's coffin. How interesting. That could advance the case. But Jolin said the retreat vitamin had suffered a lot of water damage after two decades in the ground. So basically, we've been told that they're not going to find anything useful. So and that's the frustrating it, thing. And then buried it. Yeah, see, time goes on, people die, and things happen to evidence, and it's very difficult, very frustrating. That's all I had. This last one is a quick one, and then we can wrap up. Um, the last one is was in 2001. His name is Timothy Gallant. He grabbed a girl in Ludlow, and she they caught him prior to anything bad happening to this young lady. Um, but as soon as they got him into the police station, they were like, whoa, dead ringer for that sketch. So this is 2001, so it's only a year later. So they looked at him, but he was tried for this other girl. He received six to eight years in attempted kidnapping for her, and he strongly denied anything to Molly. So they quickly just let it go, which is quite interesting that they keep just letting things go. Let me guess. They just not like have them. had it. <laughs> and he looked just like him again. It said, the new sketch made for an even closer match than others, was Here the exact go. quote. But like how... They said that about every character, so I don't really know. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to read. I'd like to focus on that just for a minute. If you're solving a problem over time and you're getting nowhere, one of the things that you should do is look at your assumptions, examine them again. What the key assumptions were in this case were based on the composite and the white car. That's all they had. They destroyed the evidence. That's all they had. So without that, they had nothing. So they couldn't. They could report any progress or otherwise. It made me wonder if they were barking up the wrong tree. If these were red herrings, um, and that explains why after all these years, the case has not been solved. Now that's. I'm wondering. I'm speculating. That's not saying that's a fact. I think there's no evidence. Nobody's ever going to be linked to it because there's no evidence. It's all circumstantial. Yeah, and the, the one thing to remember, to bear in mind, the car wasn't seen there that day. It was seen there the day before. It was seen in the graveyard that day. Okay, but it was, well, I, I don't know that I mentioned car. that, so we should go back to that. But was it a, a white car or the white car? A white car. A white car. So I went out to the site to see how close this was, because to me this is all too crazy. Like, how do you in three minutes take a girl this right. So, so I my, wanted to walk it. I would think... How many white cars did you see once you were making that actually, trip? Actually, there were two. <laughs> <laughs> two white cars, a Jeep, and two young boys on a bicycle. Did you arrest them? <laughs> I did not, but I talked to the two young boys on the bicycle. Uh, they so seemed nice. I would think it might have been somebody, because the thing that's always struck me is that the police haven't really focused on people that were regularly going down to that pond. Because her her first aid kit was opened. Somebody may have come up to her acting as though they were injured and may have simply just 
you know, use that. That was what Ted Bundy used to do. He would he would even put yep. on casts. Mm. Yeah. And um, you know, he yeah, would pretend to be injured and help me. Yeah. Please. Yeah. So many cases this has happened. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Pretend to be injured. So. Well, and the majority of cases, the crimes are committed by someone you know. Because yes. it's easier to learn mm-hmm. you if you your guard's know down. Yeah, yeah. You're not ready. So again, we're getting back to arguments that police have to be better trained so that they act in a timely fashion. Correct. To protect the crime scene to begin with, and watch their assumptions. I mean, this because they couldn't come up with anything else. This became, oh, mom said she saw some suspicious guy, and that's always been their litmus test with the suspic- uh, people they are suspicious of. And if that person, it was just some guy who drove there one morning because he was pissed off at his wife, and he's smoking cigarettes like a woman, and he's oh, glaring Gerald at everybody, like that, but he has nothing to do to with the case. Um, so you, you go on the wrong assumption, you're not going to get the right result. Gerald's ex-wife said that she used to hate how he smoked because he smoked like a girl. Oh, oh interesting. Say that so again. I, Gerald's wife said she used to hate how he smoked because he smoked like a girl. So what is it like? He's holding the cigarette in the very, very. He top. like brings it up like. Hey, this. sailor. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. That was good, Dad. So I meant to bring that up when I talked about him when I said that we'll get into that later. But there's so much in this case that we could talk for hours about. I went there just to see that I couldn't believe in three minutes that somebody could do this, but you could. The, the dynamics of it are so easy. I mean, the road going into Cummins Pond is basically a one-way road. You can't fit more than two cars without pushing to the side. So they couldn't have gone up back out that way. So the only other exits I see are all those people's homes, mm-hmm. off the trail, or the cemetery. Because that's the only way you're getting out of there without people seeing you. Because they would have seen you on that one-way road going out. Well, and I wonder if all those homes were there back in 2000, right? They were pretty... Yeah, good point. Good point. I mean, because I haven't been through Warren in a long time, but I've always thought of it as, you know, very rural, kind of like West Brookfield, East Brookfield. There's nothing downtown. Yeah, I mean. But this pond is a mile off downtown. That's why I say, like, when you look at the center, if you turn to the right, it's literally one road away from downtown. Wow. You probably could, if you were a good thrower, like, major league you could probably throw a ball from the police station into the pond how about that so, so somebody, you're not talking a very rural it's almost downtown but crappy downtown you know but yeah i, I know you told me this morning that if somebody had incapacitated the young lady they could have carried her in three minutes to the graveyard where a lot of people which is close by cummins pond uh had seen a white car again um it's literally two small little hills so when you're looking at the the lifeguard station right behind it is a small hill you take maybe three steps and then you're on the trail to the wow. cemetery and the cemetery is maybe 20 steps uh, it's very close so if you were take if you were a six foot man let's just say most men are taller than women you throw the girl over your shoulder you could totally do that i could do it to survive to take somebody you know let's test that craig could you throw her over your shoulder <laughs> <laughs> You know, and the other thing is, is if you know somebody, you know, you can be like, oh, I cut myself. Hey, oh, I forgot something in my car. Can you just come with me to my car? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, or somebody behind me is injured. Yeah. My child. Can somebody you know? at my car is injured. Yeah. You know, yeah. all of those things. It's so Molly close, three minutes is possible. Molly yes. was a sweetheart. Sweet kid. Nice yeah. kid. She would have done anything she could. Yeah. Unfortunately. 
wrapping it up. I guess we're at the end. So, how do we wrap it up now? There has to be some sort of conclusion. Yeah. Or, there isn't really one, but you could say something like... There isn't a conclusion to this case. Um, I think there's... Sometimes when you look at case, you get more questions than you do answers. Yeah, and I think the, the big thing about this right? case is that the only good that has come out of this is that at least the police are a lot less likely to immediately assume that a young girl might have run away or a young girl might have drowned when, you know, there's obviously... You never want to assume somebody's been kidnapped, but you almost have to start there and disprove that first. Time is of the essence. Yeah. David, you make me think of something. I, I believe it was either Molly's mom or maybe her oldest sister, Heather, said. Molly's still a lifeguard. She's protecting lives because based on her case, a number of changes have been made, um, and, she, and she's still a lifeguard. Well, that's true, and they also started the Molly Bish Foundation, which I know, um, like, we had our kids processed through that, so basically, you can get your kids um, fingerprinted, and remember, they gave you, like, a little card, so that if they vanished, you would already have a lot of... Amazing things. Yeah, a lot of evidence on your own child to make an investigation easier, Um, so I definitely know they did that, and then Gracia stated earlier that they brought the Amber Alert into Massachusetts, which, of yeah. course, is also, you know, a huge helper, I'm sure. They catch people so often on that now, I think it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. they put out Toyota Corolla, here's the license plate, find it. Yeah. yeah. Shouldn't we give some credit to our technical guy here, Craig? Or? Sure. So you keep hearing Dad refer to Craig. He is our technical guy here, and that just means he's drinking our drinks and listening to us talk. For free. <laughs> yes. For free. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess in conclusion, it seems like we probably won't ever know with any given yeah. certainty what happened. I mean, you never know with yeah. cold cases, but um, seems like this one, there's maybe too much evidence lost, you know, mm-hmm. and too much time has passed maybe to really go back and say what actually did happen, but... Um, Although I'd love to have 20 minutes with Mr. Stanger. Give it a shot. He's the guy in Florida, right? Yeah. Yeah, so. Give it a shot. He's the only one alive. Yeah, he is the only one alive. Well, we don't know about Mr. Smith, right? Right. We don't even know who that is. That's right. You're right. So, Mr. Smith. We might be able to find out who he is based on, because if they own the camp, his father owned the campground. So obviously, their legal records. Yeah, David legal records, up. and if obviously there's legal records of who your kids are. Yep. So yep. some things are public knowledge. Yeah. Do you want to do a little teaser for next week? Yeah, sure. Actually, um, so next week we're going to be covering um, an interesting cold case that is picked by Don. Uh, so he will be doing all of the research for that. Less um, talking for me. And that is, uh, yeah, Maureen. Maureen and Jennifer Monahan, who yes. were uh, murdered in Rutland, so another small town Massachusetts murder. Um, of these two, it's a mother and daughter uh, crime yeah. this time. Yeah, Jennifer was only four years old. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So a lot of mystery connected with this one. This one was a really exciting one. Uh, it brings yeah. in all kinds of weird. Uh, yeah, we elements. even got psychics for this one. So we hope you'll stay tuned uh, and follow us next week. You can also follow us uh, on our Instagram at cocktails, mocktails, and crime. Until next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye guys.